taken and only truth received. Amen. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing near him. So begins this ancient story from the Hebrew Scriptures, which goes on to describe how Abraham and Sarah extend hospitality to these three strangers who in turn announce that in spite of her age, Sarah will yet bear a son. As was common, even expected, in the cultures of the ancient Near East, Abraham offers a little water to the visitors that they might wash their feet, a little bread to refresh their bodies, a place to rest under the shade of a tree. It is, after all, the hottest time of the day when traveling is not only uncomfortable but ill-advised. Sit, rest, refresh. It is the way of that world. Well, the three travelers accept the offer. Do as you said, they replied, and immediately Abraham goes into gear. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. And he ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. And then Abraham took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, he begun by talking a little bit of water and bread, yet he ends up laying out what amounts to a pretty serious feast. Thanks, of course, to Sarah's bread baking and the servant's preparation of the calf, all in the heat of the day, no less. Having now refreshed themselves with this generous hospitality, one of those visitors announces that in due season, your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. Sarah, meanwhile, has been eavesdropping on the men's conversation, and that announcement elicits from her only laughter. Why did Sarah laugh, they respond. Why did she say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Well, as it turns out, nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. A child will be conceived, and when he's born, they name him Isaac, which means laughter. Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. All the way through the biblical story, whenever a baby, and particularly an unexpected or impossible baby, arrives, it's the way the text has of telling us that God is doing a whole new thing. It's always moments of huge significance and possibility that are birthed with these children. Well, here at St. Ben's, we almost always display our reproduction of Andrei Rublev's icon of this story. It stands at the top of the steps behind me. It's also printed on the cover of your order of service today just in case you want to turn an eye to it as I talk about it. The icon was written in the early 1400s. Icons are said to be written, not painted. It's titled, The Hospitality of Abraham. 
Yet it's very often also referred to as the Old Testament Trinity. You see, there's a long and ancient tradition of hearing rumors or hints of the Trinitarian nature of God tucked into this ancient story of the three visitors. Although the story portrays three visitors, they speak as if with one voice. And by verse 13, they are referred to as the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? It doesn't matter what the original writer of that story understood themselves to be doing on that count. It's just that for the better part of 2,000 years, some have heard in it a kind of an evocative rumor of the Trinity. And that's okay. The icon pictures three angelic figures. They are winged, and though clothed in different colors, they are otherwise more or less identical figures. They're seated at a table that opens out toward us, toward the viewer. The icon is conventionally read from left to right. So the angel on the left is said to represent the Father, the one in the center, the Son, the one on the right, the Holy Spirit. And coming up behind that central figure is a tree, an oak of Mamre. But it's also a suggestion of the tree on which the Son would someday be crucified. On the table is a cup, which holds something that might be wine, in earlier versions by other icon writers of this same scene, the cup held very obviously a lamb, signifying the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Rublev, in his version, his very carefully written version, seems to want to have been intentionally vague on what's in the cup. The point is, that central cup is meant to draw our attention. It's an indication of where our eyes should go, at least at first. The faces of the three figures are interesting. The faces of the Son and the Spirit are both oriented toward the Father, reflecting the proclamation of the Nicene Creed that the Son is eternally begotten of the Father and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. Yet unlike some traditional images from the Western artistic tradition, which show the Father as bearded and aged and very large, the Son as somewhat smaller, a human figure, and the Spirit as an even smaller dove, here in his icon, Rublev portrays the three as essentially the same in size and bearing. They are three and yet one. Well, the figure of the sun is pointing to the cup. The viewer is meant to pay attention. The figure of the spirit, the one, as you look at it, on the right side, the figure of the spirit points toward the front of the table, which is where things get really interesting and actually challenging. Though you might not even notice it at first, the front of the table is marked by a small rectangular opening. 
In his meditation on this icon, Henri Nouwen offers the following words. He says, As the mysteries of the intimate life of the Holy Trinity are unfolded to us, our eyes become more and more aware of that small rectangular opening in front, beneath the chalice. We must give all our attention to that open space, because it is the place to which the Spirit points, and where we become included in the divine circle. That little opening is, to quote Nowen, the place to which the Spirit points, and where we become included in the divine circle. It's a place for us, a place of restfulness for one thing, for as St. Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, your life is hid safe in Christ. That's a, a kind of an interesting way to look at it, right? That there's this safety, security place tucked there in the table. Your life hidden with Christ in God. That's actually all the more poignant an image when you consider that Rublev's icon was written for his fellow monks at a time of deep political upheaval in 15th century Russia. And political upheaval always put monastic communities at considerable risk because the monks were vulnerable and nonviolent, and so they could just get rolled over and their monasteries taken from them. I find it all the more poignant, though, after recently coming across a photograph of the chapel of the monastery of Notre Dame de Atlas in Algeria. Some of you may have seen the film of Gods and Men. It's the setting of that film is at that monastery in Algeria. It recounts the 1996 story of the abduction and murder of seven of the nine monks by Algerian rebel fighters. There on the chapel wall of their monastery hung in a very central position a large reproduction of Rublev's icon. If you saw the film or know the story of that community, you'll be aware that the monastic community had made a conscious gospel decision not to flee the Algerian Civil War. They had the opportunity, in fact, the government wanted them to leave. Get out while you still can. But that community had made the decision to stay there and to serve their Algeri the Algerian Muslim friends and neighbors with whom they had lived for so many years. And they did it as a sign of their faithfulness to Christ, to the Gospel call. There on that monastery wall hung that icon which represented the safety of their life hid in Christ and yet, and yet, were not meant to escape from the world by hiding in that rectangle. For in fact, the table around which these three figures are seated is also open to the whole of the world. If you look at it, it's an open table. As was true for the Algerian monks, having our lives hid safe with Christ in God may well lead us to risk it all for the sake of his love. 
knowing that we have a place at the table in the presence of the triune God, should deeply convict us of the truth that there is always one more place, one more opening there alongside of us. Which brings us to tonight's reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. It's said at the very end of Matthew's telling of the Gospel story, the risen Jesus appears to the eleven disciples and says to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Forget your old scruples about Jew and Gentile, about insider and outsider. In other words, immerse the world in the life of the triune God. Drop the old lines and immerse the whole world in this feast. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, which in the end is to issue an invitation to live fully, abundantly, and audaciously as a people who feast at the table set by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lest you begin to lose heart or hope, Jesus concludes by saying, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, in response to that call and challenge, a young Albanian nun named Teresa ended up on the streets of Calcutta, helping poor Hindus to die, surrounded by love and treated with dignity, perhaps for the first time in their lives. A group of Trappist monks from France risks all to stay present in loving service to their Muslim friends and neighbors. Or closer to home, a Baptist pastor named Harry Lahotsky moved from New York City to Winnipeg's core area to bring a revolutionary gospel into the life of a depressed and broken neighborhood. Or again, closer to home, the grieving parents of a grade 8 girl named Candace Dirksen publicly proclaim their willingness to do the hard work of forgiving their daughter's killer, making room at that table. Well, those are all big stories, right? They're well-known stories, almost iconic stories. But there are countless little ones that get played out each and every day by very ordinary disciples striving to do the faith. And you know, if we take Jesus at his word, those little stories, those day-to-day -day acts of making room at the table are oh so important. After all, it is in something so basic as extending a meal to strangers that Abraham and Sarah entertained angels unaware. Whenever you see that icon standing at the top of those stairs at the front of the church, seek to see it as an invitation, an invitation to draw us all closer, closer into the life of God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, and therefore relational, and therefore open to relationship with us. But also an invitation to do what we can to open yet another place at that feast, the feast of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
There must always be more room. We must always be open to the reality that we are too, possibly entertaining angels unaware. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.